Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to America's Best Baseball Podcast. We take you behind the scenes in and around Major League Baseball with former big league manager Kevin Kennedy and veteran baseball broadcaster Rich Herrera. This is the only weekly podcast hosted by someone like Kennedy who played coached and managed in pro ball so we can take you into the manager's office for a real insider's view of baseball alongside a veteran baseball broadcaster like Herrera who has covered the game from coast to coast so let's talk some baseball with your hosts here they are the skipper Kevin Kennedy and Rich Herrera Thanks for joining us, everybody, on America's Best Baseball Podcast. That's the skipper, Kevin Kennedy. I'm Rich Herrera. Let's get right to it. The baseball gods did us a favor, Skip, because we got a lot of baseball to talk about today. Uh, there's always a lot of baseball to talk about, Rich. Yeah, and, and it just you know it starts getting heated up here at this time of the summer when teams are battling for first place or teams that are down or, or starting to beat teams that are, they're not supposed to beat. Uh, guys get heated up, and bottom line is it, it shows that players care about winning. Let's start in San Francisco uh, with the Marlins and the Giants. Last week, Evan Longoria gets hit by a pitch, broken hand, out eight weeks, and that was against the Marlins. This mm-hmm. time out, Dan Straley um, got run along with Don Mattingly after the Giants and the Marlins were throwing back and forth at each other. Straley gets run after Buster Posey gets hit by pitch. Let's take a listen. And Buster gets drilled. And that's all for Straley. Straley has been ejected, and so has Don Mattingly. And here comes Bruce Bochy out. Bochy goes out to the home plate area and is intercepted by the crew chief. And now Bochy starts pointing and shouting at Straley. It's like Bochy wants a piece of Straley himself. I don't know, maybe Straley thinks that Lewis Brinson is a superstar. In the eye for an eye world of uh, retaliation, if you're going to retaliate, usually you go after somebody who's in the same uh, situation as your guy who got hit. That's not Lewis Brinson. I must have missed the All-Star game that he made or the World Series that he was the MVP of or even the league that he was the MVP of. That is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. So Straley, maybe Straley just wanted out of the game. So, Skip, let's talk about this because Straley gets run, Mattingly gets run, neither one of them are happy. The Giants starter Derek Rodriguez had plunked a Marlins center fielder, Lewis Brinson, in the second inning. So Andy Fletcher gives warnings to both sides, and then they get run. Yeah, well, you know, the thing with Evan Longoria, I I mean, I'm not sure that was intentional. I watched, uh, I actually watched that game. I've been watching uh, as many games as I can around the country, and I'm always curious what anybody in NL West does, uh, simply because I still have a job with the Dodgers doing some games on radio, and so I'm I'm curious what all the teams in the West do. So wherever they're at, I, I follow them. So I did see that Marlon Giants game. The Marlins have been playing well against uh, some of the West teams. They, they beat the Dodgers uh, and, and played them very well. They 
They beat the Giants three out of four in Miami. But seeing that play, Rich, I, I don't know what you thought about it. I, I didn't think it was intentional. I, I think what we're finding out today, and I want to say this before we continue, in spring training, I was talking to Mark Gubaza, who was a great pitcher in his own right, especially with Kansas City. Now an Angels broadcaster. Now an Angels broadcaster. And, and we were playing the Angels at the end of spring training, and he was in the booth. We've been good friends for a long time. And he was talking about something that I thought was very intriguing, and he's right. He said, you're going to see more guys, Kevin, get hit and get hurt, breaking their wrists, their hands, than maybe ever before. And I said, I have a feeling you're right. I said, I think I know why you're right. What do you, why are you saying that? He says, because more pitchers are getting tired of giving up these home runs. So they're going to be pitching up in the zone, and they're going to be pitching in in the zone more than ever before. They try to pitch up, and they miss locations, and they miss out of the heart of the plate, and guys are hitting home runs against them. So you're going to see a lot more guys trying to go inside and tie these guys up. You've got the plate being crowded by most hitters today, especially most power hitters, and pitchers are not going to let their arms or hands get extended to get through that baseball. And, and I'll be darned if that very same day, uh, actually, excuse me, about a day later is when Justin Turner got hit uh, playing the Oakland A's right at the end of spring training, he got and hit on the wrist. It's not intentional. It's not. I'm, nope. not, I'm not brushing him back. I'm not giving him chin nope. music. But let's stop nope. for just a second, Skip. Let's play. Let's play baseball 101 like we'd like to do on this podcast. All right. Okay. Explain to me the difference because we all. I think people have heard the old saying from uh, uh, Gibson. Hey, half the plate's mine, half the plate's yours. I'm just going to keep you guessing which one. But explain to me what you mean by if I'm if I miss. And I leave it over the heart of the plate when I'm throwing outside, inside, and how baseball has changed and how guys dive over the plate. Well, Rich, I mean, with the armor that guys wear today, I mean, on their wrists, on their elbows, on their on their feet, on their ankles, you'll see guys that aren't afraid of, of standing on top of the plate. You know, that stuff didn't happen back in the Bob Gibson days. Guys didn't wear armor like that on their on their hands and on their elbows and all that. So they weren't that afraid of uh, today's game, they're not that afraid of getting hit. Obviously, you don't want to get hit and get hurt, but guys w are gambling. They said, hey, you know, if I get on top of the plate and I, I can hit some home runs and get some mistakes, I'm going to get paid. And that's really what's going on in today's game the last few years. A lot of divers. A lot of guys are diving. A lot of guys, uh, even guys that don't dive, they'll have that back foot on home plate, like Justin Turner, who has an open stance, but they got the back foot right on home plate. And so as a catcher, I'm speaking from a catcher's perspective, I always felt that anybody that had their back foot close to home plate, um, they had the plate coverage. If I pitched them away, that ball to them was right down the middle. So consequently, I got to back you, them up. I got to back them up. I got to I got to go inside. And remember, there's not much margin for error inside. If you miss inside off the plate and the guy's on top of it, he's got a chance to get hit. If you hit your spot. Yeah, you might get a strike or you might jam a guy, but there's not much margin for error. If you go away from a guy, a right-handed hitter, let's say right-handed pitcher, and you miss, well, it's just a ball. Nobody's getting hit because the ball's you know three feet away from him. So that's one of the reasons, I think, why so many guys today are getting hit, and I think you're seeing so many uh, broken wrists, uh, especially on you know Turner was one, Longoria now is another, and I think we're going to see more, unfortunately. Because And here's the other reason why. A lot of guys today uh, don't know how to pitch inside, and what I mean by that, they're Bingo. up in the they're up in the big leagues so fast. They don't spend five or six years in the minor leagues. They definitely don't spend spend six years in AAA. 
like I did back in the 80s. I mean, in late 70s and 80s, you spent, I spent six years in AAA as a catcher because... Right, but see, how many guys, you know, Skip, how many guys do we see uh, in the last 10, last decade, live on that outside, that outside slider that has just been kryptonite to everybody? They throw it, they chase it, and the reason they chase it is because it looks so good because they're on top of the plate. Now, old-school baseball will be, what am I going to do if I throw uh, outside... Low and outside, where should I come back next? Up and yeah, in. Keep that yeah. hitter off balance. But because we've had this thing on baseball, and you and I have been talking about this for years, hey, guys, throw inside. Throw inside like Gibson. Throw inside like Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens, honestly, is the last pitcher that lived inside. He used to he used to dust uh, back Alex Rodriguez uh, the first time he faced him in a, in a game, and then Alex Rodriguez was was bailing out half the time because you know Clemens was going to come inside. Randy Johnson would come inside. They would intimidate a hitter. Now hitters stand up there. They don't have a care in the world because they know no one's going to come inside. Don't forget about Pedro Martinez. Pedro I Martinez. Mean, but, Pedro. but Pedro Martinez did it, and you had him. He was one of your players, Skip. He was called a headhunter. Roger Clemens was called a headhunter. They were called nasty. They were actually, people accused them of, of cheating and being bad guys because they lived on the inside of the plate, backing hitters away. And now, last five years, if I come within even a baseball off the plate inside, you're glaring at me like you want to come throw down. Yeah, and, that, and that's the difference to the game today. I mean, everybody knew that Clemens was a guy that wasn't afraid to hit you if you were, if you were crowding the plate. Everybody knew that Randy Johnson would do the same. Everybody knew back in the day that Drysdale would do it and Gibson. Everybody knew that Pedro was, was doing it. A lot of people felt Pedro would do it intentionally. Pedro says, I never tried to hit anybody in the plate. He, uh, in the head, but, excuse but me. He, but he, but, he, but would, he, would, he would get his half of the inside of the plate. Well, he would even do more than that. He actually went after. Whenever they play the Yankees, especially the Red Sox, <laughs> right. he would actually hit Derek Jeter on purpose to start yeah. the game. Just, and he would he would set the tone. He wasn't trying to hurt him, but he he would go way inside. And if he hit him, he hit him. And that was his mentality because he wanted to live away, you know, the rest of the game. The outside part of the plate was going to be his, and he he'll be darned if if he was going to let anybody get on the plate and okay, take so the inside part away baseball, too. We got to play baseball one on one. He wants that outside of the plate for people that don't understand. Then why does he throw inside at Derek Jeter if he if he's worried about the outside of the plate? Because he just wanted to set the tone for the rest of the lineup to say, "Hey, he'll don't hit be anybody." He'll, yeah, don't be diving. He'll he'll hit anybody. He's not afraid way, what, to hit anybody. What was the reaction from the Yankees and uh, and Jeter when he would know that? Listen, I'm going to walk up there and he's going to he's going to dust me. Jeter took it pretty professionally. He took it as long as he didn't get him up high or hit him in the uh, the wrist or something. You know, you tried to get guys low when you did that, meaning. Uh, not that the ribs can't be broken because they certainly can, but you didn't try to hit guys in the head. I mean, you didn't try to hit them in the wrist and break their wrists. I mean, if, if they have that kind of control, then they should be able to pitch inside correctly. Let's just put it that way. And That's there why, is a way of doing it correctly. Yeah, there is. There is, Rich. And I, I think the game today is north and south as far as pitching. And what that means is um, the game used to be side to side, east and west. You go, you know, when the umpires weren't under the scrutiny they are now, and you know this because you went to umpire school, you could get the outside corner and just go back to the Braves days under uh, Greg Maddox and John Smoltz and Tommy Glavin. You could sit outside if you were a catcher uh, and you were fit. Let's say you're Greg Maddox and you had a right-handed hitter up there. You could sit outside as a catcher about six inches, and if you hit that spot and Greg could hit it, it would be called a strike. So in other words, a 17-inch wide plate would become 23. 
That no longer it's is the case. It, and now it's an acceptable pitch. Because if you live out there, it, but he would call it, that umpire would call it consistently because they knew how good Maddox was at finding exactly where he was throwing the baseball. Yeah, if you didn't move the glove as a catcher and he had his spot, they would get the call. I this, is, this is pre this is pre-Quest Tech ZE system. You bet. Let me tell you, Sandy Alomar Jr., who's with the Cleveland Indians as a coach now, when he when he caught Dennis Martinez in Cleveland, when Cleveland had all those great teams in the 90s, he would sit, Dennis would have him sit facing a right-handed hitter with his left shin guard, his left knee on the outside corner on the black of home plate. That's how far Sandy would sit outside, and Dennis would hit the spot, and a lot of times the ball would be called a strike, and it was a shame. I do agree that the, uh, the, the book rule should be called, which includes the high pitch, by the way. The problem that's happening today, why pitchers Uh-oh. are getting Uh-oh. frustrated. Get ready for this, everybody. Is at the top part of the strike zone. Maybe, Rich, you can explain what that's supposed to be. Right. But the top part of the strike zone is very inconsistent. Now, I've been watching the Dodgers and Cubs the last couple of days on TV, right? I'm not on the road trip. One umpire, and I won't say the name. It doesn't matter. One umpire in the first game called the top part of the zone. Uh, in the second game, the top part of the zone wasn't called. The umpire in the first game had a very wide zone. And the players, some several guys got kicked out in that game. Both sides were getting called the same way. Um, and so there was inconsistencies there. And yes, the umpires, even though they get graded, they still see the strike zone they're, because they're human beings. They're they, human see beings. It, they see it the way they see it. Now, that because the top part of the zone is not being called, the only chance a pitcher has throwing up is, well, get a swing and a miss because he's not going to get a called strike the up there. Okay, yeah, so let me jump in here with you. Yeah. What's an acceptable pitch in your mind? Because people talk about – the the inconsistency of the strike zone in in whether it's a strike and strike on the black or outside for your mind how much of the width of the baseball needs to hit the plate for it to be a hittable pitch that you call a strike on the outside corner you mean the black yeah. black of or home inside plate? or inside just a, just the black of home plate if it hits the edge of the black of home plate or a baseball width in other words that's a strike so how wide is a baseball Baseball is what three and a half inches, three so inches. There's that, there's that three and a half inches on the outside, three and a half inches on the inside. They're taught that if part of that baseball nicks over the plate, and we're talking about we're talking about an inch to two inches uh, at a baseball moving at a hundred miles an hour. Correct. They're calling on that. Those pitches right there that you say that you saw on television, and I believe you that they were inconsistent or they were inconsistent from day to day. But if it's just that little bit of the outside and maybe this umpire is going to give you a third of the baseball, the umpire the next day wants two thirds of the baseball. Correct. The umpire the next day wants the entire baseball. What they call that in baseball in, in umpire language is, is it a hittable pitch? How much of it was over the strike zone? And could you hit it? Baseball encourages them. I'm going to call that a strike. The other part of this, and, this and I is agree my, with that, by the way, and, and this is my favorite part. So, so when they get graded, when they get graded, they look: was it a hittable pitch? And if it's outside, that's when they have to answer to to their supervisor, Hockam, you missed this pitch. The other part of this, and and we've had this discussion before, Kevin, on satellite radio. Tell every, I, I, I here's what happened. I'm sitting in the press box, talking to an umpire supervisor, and I ask when I start asking about umpiring, so I asked the question that everybody asked what we're talking about right now. How can you never call a high strike? And he looked at me and gave me a smart uh, remark. He goes, 
Well, if it was high, then it's not a strike. I've had well, many umpires tell me that when I used to go argue. <laughs> that must be a line that goes around umpire school, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's it's like the line for broadcasters. Two broadcasters are sitting in the hotel lobby. A woman of questionable morals comes up and says, hey, I'll do anything for 50 bucks," And they both look great. You can do the postgame show tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Well, that's so what me- umpires would tell me, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you said you said high strike. I said, yeah, but if there is a strike zone that's high. And there's a strike zone that's a low pitch, so don't be obnoxious with me. And I would go so, right back at it. And by the way, the umpire, the from the manager sitting in the dugout, the only thing that he can tell is up and down. He can't tell uh, uh, side to side from the, from the from the vantage point. So that's why uh, managers and players will always harp about the high strike and the low strike, whether it's getting called or not. Correct. So by the book, the letter, the 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 letters, the armpits are the top of the strike zone. So when you're standing there, and fans will look like he's they never. And I said this: you guys never call the strike at the armpits. You never call the strike at the num at the letters. So this umpire supervisor says, "Richie, stand up." So I stand up, and he goes, "Get in your stance." So I get in my stance. He goes, "All right, I'm gonna put my hand right here where you where where you think the top of the strike zone is. Is that right?" And he puts about for the letters. And I said, "Okay." He goes, "Now I want you to take a stride." And I want you to swing, and then we'll look again. So I took my stride. I took, like, maybe, you know, six inches of a stride. I I brought my hands. I loaded. I came through. And he goes, all right, now get to the point of contact. I got to the point of contact. He goes, do you remember where our hands were before? And he kept his hands right there. He goes, look where my hand is now. And I'm like, wow, that strike at the letters is now with my shoulders and my chin because I compressed down to stride forward. He goes, what we call is... Three baseballs above the belt is the top of the strike zone because as you go to swing and you compact down, it's not where you're standing. It's where you're trying to make contact with the baseball. Correct. That's why we never call that at the letters. Correct. Yeah, it's and, and the book rule will say, and I'm going to remember this just off the fly, even though I have the book with me every, every day in my briefcase, um, it is uh, the midpoint between the uh, belt and the, uh, the lower part of the armpit. Correct, yeah. Rich? The midpoint, that's, yeah, that's and, it. and that's and that's basically what the umpires will say for them. It's basically three baseballs above the belt. So as you stand, because you're gonna you're gonna shorten out. I, I was like, wow, I don't know much about this game, and I've been doing this for twenty years. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go back to something though. Yeah. We've been talking about this forever. Pitchers throw inside, be aggressive. Don't don't stand there and let these guys get so comfortable. You're not gonna last. We've said it forever, Kevin. Right. Does baseball have the intestinal fortitude to allow pitchers to reclaim the inside part of the plate and have hitters go back to being a little itchy when they're going up to the plate? The great Willie Mays knew if he was facing Big D, Don Drysdale, or, or Gibson, he was going to get knocked down, and it was just part of the game. Now, with all this money, Turner getting hurt, Longoria getting hurt, does baseball have – the intestinal fortitude to allow these pitchers to reclaim the inside of the plate, knowing that multi-million dollar superstars are going to get hurt in the process. Well, that's a great question, Rich. I, I really don't know, but I, I like to see baseball make some changes in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and let's stay on the strike zone today because we're going to do a couple of shows a week um, for as long as we, we possibly can, as long as we're both healthy. I think <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll do this show. Uh, so there's always a lot to talk about. It doesn't have to be done all in one show because I got feelings about the shift and everything else that's going on in baseball. But the bottom line is I think until pitchers show that they have command inside, that they're just not throwing inside, that they're actually pitching inside. And there's a difference. Um, 
mean, I know sometimes people don't want to hear guys from the old days, but but Sandy Koufax said something that was very profound one many years ago. He said, "You don't throw, you pitch." He said, "You you throw inside to pitch away." Now that was his day, right? Back then, hard he stuff in, soft yeah. stuff away. Yeah, but he said throw. He didn't pitch inside. He threw inside. In other words, he did exactly what we've been talking about the last 20 minutes. I might waste a pitch inside because I want to make sure you're not too comfortable. Exactly. He didn't pitch inside. He said, I threw inside, but I pitched away. To set up that pitch. And that's where the game has changed. Now guys are throwing inside. They're not pitching inside. They think they're pitching inside by throwing a ball inside on Evan Longoria when they have no idea where the ball is going. It gets away from him with a little two-seam run, and it hits him in the wrist and breaks his wrist. That's the problem with today's game because guys don't know how to actually – most guys don't know how to actually pitch inside. They'll go inside because they're taught in the minor leagues. Hey, you got to pitch inside. This is how far my ball runs. Yeah, you got to go inside. you got to pitch inside. you got to pitch inside. But how do you pitch inside effectively? Because if you make a mistake out of the over the plate inside and you're afraid to hit somebody, you're going to give up a home run in today's game. That's the problem. I, I talked to Billy Ripken about this in bunting. Um, yeah. That why don't we have good bunters in the big leagues? Because all these guys hit four and five. None of them ever bunted in the minor leagues. They never How, bunt. Why do we have guys that can't throw inside? Because they were never asked to throw stuff. They throw Correct. breaking stuff. They throw sliders. Right. They throw filthy stuff away that people would chase, and that's how they got They to don't the big even leagues. do bunting in batting practice. They, they, <laughs> they might come out early and bring a few guys out that they know are bunters that need to bunt, mostly pitchers in the National League. But they don't even practice that in their pregame batting practice. Half ass when it happens. Yeah, they don't do it anymore. They okay. don't. They don't. They don't practice bunting. Well, here's the other part: is uh, throwing inside. There's a big difference between throwing inside to back you off to get you uncomfortable and right. trying to hit somebody. That's so right. when Straley hit Buster Posey, which started this conversation, he hit a professionally in the shoulder blade, uh, in the arm. There's a there's a certain way you go about it. But here's the other part of all this, that everybody gets all sideways because if I'm going to hit you, it's part of the game. There's unwritten rules in baseball. If I'm going to back you out, it's part of the game. There's unwritten rules in baseball. But there's also that fact that there's some guys that have no idea where the ball's going, and when they try to come up and in or they try to back you off the plate, you buzz the tower, you throw at their head, and all of a sudden now five guys are going to get hit and hurt. That's exactly right, and that's the problem with, with what's going on in today's baseball. Guys that throw hard are going to get to the big leagues quicker than anybody else. It's not guys that throw 87 and have great command. We still have a few of those guys, but those guys are going to have to earn their way to come up. You mentioned, by the way, Derek Rodriguez. Yes. Uh, who, by the way, is Pudge's son and has um, done a really good job. He doesn't throw like Pudge. He doesn't throw hard. He throws uh, 89 to 90, 91 tops. So going, back, so going back in this game, Longoria had been hit by Straley last week. Giant starter uh, Derek Rodriguez plunks uh, Lewis Brinson in the second inning, and then Buster Posey gets hit, um, and that's when Mattingly got run. By the way, Mike Kruka, who we both know, Giants broadcaster, in the uh, associate or the ESPN story said that he had heard Mattingly uh, telling Posey, who homered the first inning, "You're next," as he was leaving the field in San Francisco, thinking that this is absolutely uh, intentional. Yeah, but then Posey, um, who's very professional, discounted he that. He said, he said nah, I, don't, that's, I don't know. That's, it sure seemed that way is his response. He said it seemed that way, but he goes, that's not what I heard. That's what he right. said. I'm right. paraphrasing. That, hey, that's by what the he way, said. By the way, thumbs up for Buster Posey for keeping that in-house. What goes on in the field stays in the field. That's that's exactly right. That's exactly what he did. So, um, listen, Don Manley comes from the old school. 
meaning he comes from the days when he came up in the game that, you know, just he played with Derek Jeter. And when Derek first came up, Don was near the end of his career. But Don, he played, you know, a good, what, 10 years before that. Right. And so he played for the Billy Martins of the world. He played for those guys. I mean, Billy's the one that put him at second base for one inning, for grand out loud. <laughs> and and Billy Martin, the Lou Pinellas. Yeah. The Lou Pinellas, the Billy Martins, the Tommy Lasordas, those types of managers are not around anymore. Those types of managers would be the types of guys that say, hey, if they, they hit one of our guys, we're going to retaliate. Now, most managers don't need to say that. Like, for example, you mentioned uh, Roger Clemens. Point. I, yes. I, I didn't have to tell Roger Clemens. We've you know, talked about this on satellite yeah. radio before, right? Yeah. Roger knew. And if, and, and if, and by the way, right. there's, there's, there's this whole thing and, and, and some managers will go out there, Hey, you need to go plunk somebody and, and stand up because if they're going to throw inside at our guys all day long and think that we're not going to come back in and police the game ourselves, we're going to be in big trouble. See, if you had a guy like, like Clemens, what would he do? Oh, Clemens, believe me, Clemens took the game in his in his own hands. I mean, there was a time that I actually told Clemens not to hit somebody because there had already been a warning uh, thrown out by Tim McClellan. And and he ends up going out there and doing it anyway, and only because uh, I had gone out to Tim and and said, hey, he's got a pitch inside, that's part of his game, and boom, next, next time he went out there, he hit somebody. Uh, it's a long story. That's why I'm not repeating it again because right. I've said it so many times. And, and maybe sometime later in our podcast, uh, yeah. one of the, one of these days, we'll bring that story up again about about some of those days. But bottom line is Clemens uh, took it into his own hands, and and by doing that, the players took control of the game. The umpires didn't have to take control of it. The managers didn't have to take control of it. The players and took I control hit one of, of it. Years you hit one of mine. You go to first base professionally. It's over, and we both know. Okay, exactly. This is and over. That, I, I yep. talked to uh, Don Zimmer about this, the late, great Don Zimmer, yeah, who had been hit in the head, almost killed by a beanball. And I asked him about throwing inside and hitting people. He goes, Richie, I, I couldn't do it. I, I, I know what it's like. I just could not bring myself to put someone else in jeopardy like that. And my players knew I wasn't going to ask. They did it on their own, and he was glad they did. Yeah, and, and again, most players that I've ever managed, I, I mean, all the guys that I've ever managed, from minor leagues to big leagues, Rich, I can't think of one that said, I'm going to get this guy in the head. I've heard players say, I'm going to get him. But whenever I would hear that rumbling, I would say, get him low. Don't, don't hurt him. Don't hurt him. I would always say that. Because the other part is if you, if you come up high and you escalate the tensions, guess what? Your player is going to get hit next on your teammate. And he's yeah, going to wear one because you're an idiot. And then they're going to try to hurt you too. They're not only going to you're not only going to wear one, you're, they're going to try to hurt you. So that's, that's why, you know, when the retaliation started – um, it was always, I think on both sides, it was always, don't get him up high. Don't get him up high. Get him low. Get him in the ribs. Get him in the knee. Get him, get him in the thigh. Hit him in just, the butt. Just let him know that uh, we're not going to take it when you, when you knock our guys down or hit our guys and hurt our guys. Because what happens if you don't retaliate back? Well, you lose respect to the club. Uh, the players, the, the, the everyday players start saying, oh, the pitchers don't have our backs. You know, we're on an island. We're by ourselves now. You know, we're going to keep taking it. And the other thing is, when you do retaliate, you can't just get an everyday player. You got to get the, their star. You got to get the Buster Posey's. Wait a second. Do you do you get their star, or do you get someone of like value? So if I hit your shorts, your your two hundred hitting shortstop, is am I escalating it if I go get your forty home run first baseman? No, you know, no, not necessarily. Well, Longoria is, is really one of the key guys for the Giants, you know. Right. So so if you're going to retaliate and and get one of Miami's guys, it's not going to be 
you know, their guy hitting 170, they're going to get somebody of significant value that will, will affect their ball club being because out. Because that sends the message. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Um, there's one other part to this that, that we need to throw out. But before we do that, I want to go on. Just don't go down the rabbit hole with me too far, Kevin. I'm just going to make a statement. This is why I hate bat flips. We've talked about how you can't lose respect, you can't lose face, you can't do any of this stuff. And you've got a whole bunch of alpha males, competitive men, and I bat flip and kind of show you up and you take umbrage at this. That's why I think the whole bat flip thing, and we could do a whole podcast on this, um, when you do something like that or you do the high five or you do the fist bump after you get a hit, that pitcher over there that just gave up a hit and is now embarrassed in front of his teammates and 50,000 people, he's not going to take likely to you high-fiving or doing something while you're standing there. He's mad that you got a hit. He's mad that he gave up a hit. And now that you're celebrating in front of him, these are alpha males. They're going to get mad, and they're going to they're, they're gonna do something they probably wouldn't do if you just would have got your base hit and walked to uh, first base. And I think it really depends on the demeanor and personality of the pitcher. If you did that against Clemens or you did that against Pedro, no doubt they were going to answer. But I've had other guys that didn't have that in their personality. They just weren't going to do it. And so it's not everybody that, that you're talking about. But, but there are some. But there are some, and those are the guys that can be scary because they're not only going to go at you, they're going to go at you to hurt you and put you out. So how about, you gotta, guys, you how about guys hurting themselves? Because this is the rest of the story. So a lot of this happened um, between uh, Lewis Brinson and the Giants and Hunter Strickland who had buzzed him after giving up a hit, and then uh, the Giants end up losing uh, the first game in that series. And after they were done, Hunter Strickland uh, decides that he's upset that he had uh, a bad game, punches his locker, breaks his hand. He's out for eight weeks. I, I just don't understand that. When I saw that, you know, the Giants just lost up in Longoria. They just got Bumgarner back. Cueto just had a good side session. He's coming back soon. The Giants are still in the pennant race in the West. The West is still wide open. And now you lose your closer. And Melanson just came back recently. He's not ready to close yet. So now you're going to ask Tony Watson to do that, who was perfect in the eighth inning, by the way, because he gets lefties oh, he and righties out. I saw him the other day. He looked awesome. He's been great because he throws strikes. He's got a great changeup to get righties out. He's got enough of a good slider to get lefties out. And now you're going to ask him to close, which I'm sure he can do the job, but that, that shortens your bullpen. I mean, they had a really strong bullpen, especially getting Will Smith back, too. They had a really strong bullpen really developing, as strong as maybe not as strong, Rich, as it was in the World Series years, but a very, very strong bullpen. A couple of guys from the left side, guys from the right side. Strickland had learned how to close. He learned how to throw the slider from John Smoltz last winter, where the ball would turn the corner, as John would say. And for him to do that is a, for me, it's a selfish act. I mean, you know, first of all, you got to be smart enough to know if you're going to do anything like that, don't don't throw your your throwing hand, you know, your pitching hand. You sound like Crash Davis. Which hand did you hit me with? I don't I mean, know. For Christ's sakes, don't hit him drunk with your pitching hand. It makes zero sense. I mean, we've all gotten mad. We've all been there. I've broken bats. I've slammed bats. I I saw, Yas snap. I saw Yasiel Puig uh, strike out and snap his bat in half like Bo Jackson used to do. And, and, you know, some guys that tried to do that when I was playing would, would hurt their knee. <laughs> they couldn't break it. They couldn't do it like Bo. But, yeah, but if you're going to do that and, and you're that mad and you're going to be dumb enough to, you know, hit something that won't move like a wall, um, 
don't do it with your pitching hand. I, I, I'll tell you a quick story. I had a guy named Vaughn Eshelman. It was a long time ago in Boston. And in spring training, he was trying to make the ball club, et cetera. Comes into the ballpark, comes into my office, and I see his, his, his left hand pitching hand wrapped up. And I said, what the heck happened? He said, well, I was warming the, my baby's milk up. My wife was sleeping in the bathroom of the hotel. And um, it caught on fire. And he said, so I tried to put it out with my hands. And I said, but oh. you put it out with your pitching hand? <laughs> I said, and, you know, he kind of smiled. It wasn't that funny. Fortunately, it wasn't a, a deep burn, and he didn't miss that much time. But, um, again, I guess it's just reaction. That's the way you throw. That's the way you hit from. So that's what, that's what you're going to do is just react. A fire like that, that's a little bit different than a, than a pitcher, though, who was strickling with doing what he did. Because I, I just don't get that because you got to think about people other than yourself. When you do that to me, that's a selfish act. That, that doesn't show you're a man by hitting the, trying to hit the wall um, and, and then breaking your hand. That just shows me that you're not, you're not that smart, really. And um, it's a little you, bit selfish. You, know? you, saw, I, I, you, you saw that story about the player that hurt his back putting on his pants. Well, that's moral. Yeah. Brandon Morrow. Well, that yeah. that's that can happen. That, I mean, I mean, just goofy, just goofy things that'll sideline a player. Yeah, Sammy Sosa one year sneezed in the shower and he was out for two weeks, three weeks. He had a, he went on a, the DL. He hurt his uh, ribs, cracked a rib, I believe it was. Wow. So strange things can happen. Brandon Morrow. Um, we didn't know yesterday, by the way, because Joe Madden didn't say anything. It was a day night doubleheader, and when the Dodgers had that, were down one run in the ninth inning. It was Justin Wilson, the lefty, that came in. And blew the game. Morrow wasn't even up. Well, we thought, all right, maybe he's been used a lot. He'll pitch in game two. When game two, even though the game was tied in the ninth inning, he didn't come in. He wasn't being used at all. So, so bottom line is, um, we found out this morning that he went on the DL with. Uh, he was putting his pants on. He said, "I put my left leg in first, and then, or was taking his pants off actually at three in the morning. I guess he was getting back after a game, late game." And uh, left leg worked all right. When he went for the right leg, all of a sudden his back went out. And the rest is history. He's on the DL. Um, I wanted to bring up one last thing in our podcast uh, this week, Mike Trout. Uh, Mike Trout, every time you look, he's doing something great. Um, here's the funny thing about baseball. You and I love talking about the game. We love arguing about eras mm -hmm. and players and everything else in the sun. Yeah. The one thing that I, I'm going to get a little irritated with all this talk about Mike Trout as he closes in on 1,000 games, comparing him to the other greats. The fun thing about baseball is we used to be able to just argue, and it was my opinion versus your opinion, and neither one of us had to have a definitive answer. I just knew right. I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. But in the age of sabermetrics and its statistics, it seems like everybody has to have a final answer, and they just can't enjoy the debate when you talk about is Mike Trout one of the greatest of all times because the sabermetricians will come up with an algorithm that will tell you that Mike Trout is not as good as Mickey Mantle or Mickey Mantle is better than Willie Mays, and they have to have the final answer instead of just enjoying the debate. So let's yeah. talk about Mike Trout. Is he one all of the right. greatest of all time? Here's the next delivery. Trout drills one into center field. That ball is carrying in dead center. Out of here! And it was a bomb out there. It hits the batter's eye in dead center field. That was a blast there. Trout has had a two-homer night. Angels get a little bit closer, and now it's 5-3 Seattle. That thing was crushed. I, I think he, I, I think when his time is done, he will be. Yeah, he'll be considered one of the greatest. I mean, in this era, for me, he's like if I were a kid back, when I was a kid back in the 60s, um, 
that's how I looked at Willie Mays. Willie Mays was the best player I've ever seen play still to this day, all the way around for me. Um, that may change. Maybe maybe 15 years from now, and, and hopefully I'm still around, <laughs> uh, and I see Mike Trout with 660 home runs like Mays and all that, maybe I'll say Mike Trout, you know what? He might be the best player I've ever seen. Um, if not me saying that, I'm sure it'll be some kid that's 10 years old watching Mike <laughs> Trout right now like I was when I was watching Willie Mays. And listen, I was a Dodger fan, so I'm not saying this. And you even admit Willie Mays' greatest He was the best, best player, and I loved Hank Aaron. He was great. I'm a Clemente fan big time. But in my era, and, and including the era now, uh, including all the guys I manage, including all the guys I've seen to this date, he's still the best all-around player that I've ever seen. And that includes – being clutch late in the game, the fear that he put in guys, winning games with his glove, winning games with catches, winning games on the bases, um, not just base stealing, base running, everything. I've never seen anything like it. In fact, um, he impacted me so much that when I finally got a chance to meet him, I had to tell him that. And, you know, um, Willie's still around, thank God. And uh, But he is. So I think right now, you know, let, let, let him play a few more years. But absolutely, I think he'll go down in that era of, of the mazes and the mantles back in my day. And before that, I'm sure it was the Ted Williamses. And uh, I don't know about Roger Hornsby. That's a little bit earlier for me, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you've but, seen you them know. all, but you didn't see the great Roger. Yeah. Play. Yeah. I mean, so I've never seen, Bay, the... I've never seen Babe Ruth play too, but I know what his war is, you know, um, so it's, not, it's, it's, it's not fair to compare is what I'm saying. Well, no, um, I, think I think it's fair to compare when we do it the eyeball test, but when you I do think the, the war, eye test, yes, when you do the, right, the war just, and you have to come up with an algorithm well, you, and this and that, then you just you take just the fun out it. of it. It's fair to compare with the eye test. It's not fair to compare based on war. Put it that well, way. It, well, maybe it is, maybe it's not, but it's not as fun. It's not as fun if I had I to definitively win the argument with you by using batting average balls in play versus left-handers on Thursday in Milwaukee. Come on, exactly. just tell me. Listen, Mike Trout can hit him a ton. He can go out and catch. He can he can fly. He steals bases. He's got a gun. He's a he's one of the only five tool players we have in the game. Absolutely, he goes up on that Mount Rushmore by the time it's all said and done. And just enjoy the moment of watching him play. Now, here's the other thing I keep hearing about as he's closing in on his thousandth game. Is he wasting his time in his in his prime in Anaheim when they're not close to being the best team in baseball or making a run at winning a World Series? No, I don't. I don't believe in that. I think he should be an angel for life. You know, the Angels. The Angels had a really good team before they lost to Otani, and maybe Otani will come back. But no, the Angels started off pretty well. They they have some young guys. They lost their closer, also Middleton. Um, so no, I don't believe that. I think Mike Trout should be a guy that should be an angel for life. Absolutely. All right. Uh, coming up in our next podcast, we have our list of players that uh, we're going to talk about each week to see if they're going to get traded before the, the trade deadline. We'll go through the whole list in our next podcast, but I will throw one out there. Hey, I got moved. Herrera goes to a new ball club, Skip. Uh, yeah, well, where, where, are you, where are you going? <laughs> so the Nationals got all excited. I was like, I'm going to go to our nation's capital. No, that was, that, 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 was, uh, that was the start of the trading deadline. That was one of the best moves you could possibly make. Uh, I was surprised that, um, that they actually got him and they got him this soon. It was a really good move. Tracy Absolutely. Ringlesby, uh, Hall of Fame baseball writer from Denver, told me years ago, you know the best move? It's the guy who makes it early. Because if I make the move as early as I can, like the Nationals did getting Kelvin Herrera, that means yeah. I get him an extra three weeks, four weeks longer than everybody else who makes that trade, down, uh, trade deadline deal. 
Yeah, and I actually thought that the Dodgers were going to be trying to get, even though they got Kenley Jansen, I thought they'd try to get a guy like Herrera to pitch in the eighth inning. Even though the Dodgers' bullpen's been fantastic, I thought they'd try to get a guy like that because their starters are coming back now, and they're starting to get healthy. And the guys that have replaced the guys that have been hurt, including Stripling, have been doing a great job. So I thought they'd go for one really strong bullpen piece, and clearly that was the best bullpen piece on the market, and now he's gone. And that was a great move by the Nationals. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast for today. Don't forget, you can find Kevin, Kevin Kennedy, MLB on Twitter. I am RBI Rich. You can find our podcast on radio.com. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and everywhere you get your podcast. We have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash America's Best Baseball Podcast. We'll have another episode coming up this week for you. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on America's Best Baseball Podcast. Thanks for joining us for America's Best Baseball Podcast. Our podcast was produced by Braden Suppernant. Find us on Facebook at America's Best Baseball Podcast. You can find Kevin at Kevin Kennedy MLB on Twitter, and you can find Rich on Twitter at RBI Rich. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.